0: Welcome back to another episode of Almost Better Than Silence. I'm your host, Doug Coleman, and I'm here today with the other host, Brenda McCullough. And we have two very special guests today, Florian and Adrian, the creators of the game Feist, and also the co-founders of the game company Bits and Beasts. How are you doing, guys? Hey. hey, Doug. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. I'm a huge fan of the game. Uh, I know it launched on July 23rd, and... It- I know you guys started developing the game in 2008, so it's been really exciting for me to get my hands on it and finally get to play it. Um, what would you say have been some of the biggest setbacks during the game's development?
1: I'm not sure if we had setbacks in that sense, but it's just been a long time, and we always had to juggle uh, like work and earning money with working on the game. And so it was uh, sometimes difficult to focus and really have time to uh, work and get on in uh, de- developing the game.
0: That's understandable. Um, what is it that you guys do for uh, your job outside of uh, developing games?
2: I'm working at the University of the Art of Zurich um, as a teacher. I'm also, or I was also involved during the development time of Feist, uh, into other um, game design projects. I did serious games, for example. Uh, I did exhibitions, yeah, uh, and a lot of other projects. Uh,
1: I worked some time in a design agency uh, doing other games. And I also do a lot of uh, freelance work, for example, uh, for exhibitions, interactive installations and kiosks. And some, and some programming side jobs, like websites or applications.
3: Oh, okay. Uh, Florian, did you ever by chance teach German at the University of British Columbia?
2: Nope.
3: <laughs> okay, that's strange, because there is a teacher there who has the exact same name as you who teaches it.
2: I think I once saw that, but th- there is also a, a dancer with the, with the same name, and because he's a dancer, they always write about him that he has a new partner. So when you see Florian, has, Florian Fowler has a new partner, that's not me.
3: I do not change to partners all the time. <laughs> uh, that's good to know.
0: So you guys chose Unity as your engine for the game. What led up to that decision? Uh, was that what you initially started with, or did you build from scratch and end up porting to Unity?
2: No, uh, it was we, uh, we started with Unity. We tried out other engines. I uh, do not have to name them, and were a little bit disappointed or frustrated to work with them and then at least for me it was, say, shall I give uh, another game engine another try and then when I started to experiment with Unity I was blown away and thought okay, that's that's really working Nice Yeah,
1: when we started there was still only the Mac editor so, uh, I mean it was back in 2008 I think it was version 2.1 Oh wow, yeah so we've been through all the updates in between, and, uh, but it's really good for us, and I think uh, it helps us really work on the game, and especially try out and experiment.
0: So uh, how exactly did you two meet one another, and when was the defining moment in time that you guys decided, oh, we're going to build games together?
1: Uh, we met at university, at the Zurich University of the Art. Uh, We were in the game design course, and there VICE actually started as a prototype, and then was our uh, final thesis. And afterwards, we uh, uh, thought we wanted to continue working on it and uh, entered it in some competitions. And so the first thing, we won uh, Best Overall Game and Best Visual Design at the Unity Awards in 2008. And that's when we uh, got uh, a lot of attention from people the first time. And we thought, hey, uh, there's lots of people interested in the game. And we
2: uh, then decided to work on it even more. I mean, I think one of the reasons we wanted to work together was that we both uh, were interested in or still are interested in things we are not sure if they are possible to achieve or if they if they function, if they work. Um so this this kind of passion was great to work together, but it was also sometimes difficult because whenever we thought, should we do this? And we thought, oh we're not sure if it's possible to do, then we we tried to do it, which was not which, which was quite time consuming actually, uh in the long run. Yeah
1: at the beginning we also didn't have a like a set goal. We didn't know where we exactly wanted to go with Feist. So we set a few, uh, goals, more like, uh, guideposts that we set up, but then we experimented a lot and the game, uh, really, uh, was created in the process. And also that meant that we had to spend a lot of time later on to, uh, find the direction and really define the game.
0: What were some of your initial influences? I see, like the main character, for instance, isn't a human; it's more or less a fuzzball creature. What was the influence behind that specifically? I think it was the first character
1: that had fur. Actually, that's how uh, all the fur furry creatures uh, started out in the game. Um, but I don't think there's a specific uh, influence for. For him. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe Florian can can say some more.
2: I think we. I. I it's. I do not remember why we actually chose to make a guy with fur, but but when we <laughs> have decided that he has to have fur, it was not so very easy to achieve that, um, because it's very difficult to do that in, in real time 3D, and so we have to had to find uh, some kind of a low tech um, solution for that, and and this is actually. Why we, why we chose to work with that, uh, what people call a silhouette style, because it helped us to combine um, different kind of assets into um, an object that has some kind of volume and still has a lot of detail, details on the edges, which was necessary for the fur, but later on also for the, the grass, for the trees and so on.
0: Well, that's one thing I noticed when playing the game. There's kind of like a hidden depth to the levels. Like, you can go behind certain objects and other things. Was it challenging when it came to the programming of that mechanic of the game?
2: I think in the beginning,
0: Adrian, maybe you're better to answer that, but
2: I think in the beginning it was a difficulty because Unity did not have a proper solution for that during the time we were working on, and so we had uh, clipping issues. But later on we could could fix that easily.
0: Oh, okay. Is that correct,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or I think you did it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for the programming side, you have the the visuals and then you have uh, the physics. And in that sense, it's easy to make something that's just visually there, but not uh, you don't walk into it. So uh, the parts that are actually difficult are the things that you sometimes collide with and sometimes you don't. Like there's uh, one side of platforms in the game where you have uh, tree trunks that you can jump on top But you can also jump uh, below, and then you jump through the the top of the trunk. And that's a bit more tricky to do.
3: Florian, you actually teach visual art and game culture, and you guys said you met in a game design class. Do you feel that uh, at least Europe offers a more academic look into game design and programming? Because I know, at least here in America, there are a few different classes, and it's much more widespread than it used to be, but I still don't feel like they take it as serious as they could. It's, they don't really see it as an art, more of a neat little hobby you could get into.
0: Well,
2: I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's a more academic approach. What I can tell, what, and I think this is special for Switzerland if you compare it, for example, to Germany, is that the game design class was part of the design university and not part of a technological university. So um, you actually have a background in design uh, so if you study this and, uh, or you, you get a background in, this, in design if you study this and you're not looking at it from a, from a technical perspective. But it's not, it's not a purely academic approach where you just, you know, where you just uh, read or write about games. You actually really build them.
3: Oh, okay. Because, yeah, it seems much more artistic and there's more games being developed uh, at least indie games that I've played that have this artistic idea to them. They have more of a concept and not, uh, a financial dependence like a lot of games in America do.
2: I mean, I mean, the other thing is that actually Switzerland did not have, um, game industry when they started, um, teaching game design. So this actually means that they could not build, um, big games like in big companies. And um, I think this is one of the reasons that they teach game design for small groups, for small teams to build smaller games. And by that, yeah, in the end, actually independent games, which yeah, I think this is just a, also a practical reason that it happened like this.
3: Oh, OK. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, and we also
1: were supported by the Swiss Arts Council. Uh, That's an organization by the Swiss uh, government that supports art projects, usually film and uh, literature and uh, modern art. But they also started a game design program where they support game projects that's been running now for a couple of years. And so I think there's definitely a a support for uh, not the business side, but also the artistic side of games.
3: Oh, neat. Because that's the second game or game developers we've talked to that had some support by the government. Um, Triangle Studios are working on a game called Cross of the Dutchman, and they got a little bit of funding from, I think, the territory that they're doing the history on for that game. And I can't think of any games made in the U.S. that were funded by the government anyway.
0: (laughs) Imagine (laughs) Assassin's Creed or something.
3: (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because that's the most like historical games like they're very dependent on a country's history but we've only had one that was in the u.s and it wasn't the most glamorous side so i don't think the government would be paying for it
1: in the u.s it's maybe more common to uh, support companies by tax cuts instead of uh, supporting them financially whereas in the europe it's more the opposite side that you,
2: you have more direct funding yeah, exactly. I think even for Canada, this is, is like this, with, uh, that they work with tax cuts, and um, so they get a lot of companies moving to Canada. So I think in a way you can say, um, well, no, I do not have to say it, but maybe in a way uh, Assassin's Creed also was uh, supported in some way.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, it might be not as obvious uh, direct connection. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: So as indie developers, what's it like working with another publisher to get your game out there? I believe you went with Finji for your game, is it feasible to publish the game on your own or is a publisher necessary?
1: Um Finji is not the typical publisher. So uh I mean working with them is really great and they're great people. Uh I think it's a very different experience than if you work with a bigger or a different publisher. And as for if it's important, I think it's just uh, a lot of work, and it also needs a lot of experience, so to know uh, what to do and who to contact and all that stuff. So, uh, I mean, if you can do it, that's great. But uh, in our cases, we both didn't really have experience in marketing games and releasing games, and uh, it also neither of us really liked to do this or had a big uh, motivation to do it. And so our decision was to uh, to look, go out and uh, look for a publisher that could help us.
0: Okay. So do you think it's possible in the future that VICE could be released on consoles, or do you plan to keep it strictly PC? Uh, we're looking into getting it to consoles. Uh, we actually might be
1: uh, bringing it to PS4. Oh, great. Uh, we just don't have uh, any concrete plans to to announce this.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, I I was just curious, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of gamers who would like to get their hands on the game that might not just be PC gamers, so cool. I don't
3: know if it counts as a console necessarily, but I saw you guys had an arcade cabinet at (laughs) uh, Fantastic Fest.
0: Yeah, that was
1: great. They uh, built that for us, actually. So uh, everyone got their own cabinet with their own art. So that was really great for we also were oh, okay. were invited and uh, went there in uh, I think it was 2011 or 10 when it was the first time they made uh, or the or, uh, or- how it's called Fantastic Arcade and it was a really nice uh, nice festival.
0: Oh, okay,
3: I was curious to see if you guys were hoping that arcades would make a resurgence and uh, were you guys actually able to keep the cabinet or Still <laughs> a no, vest.
2: no, I think the cabinet. Yeah. I mean, the cabinet is in in Austin, and I think they reused it for for the next exhibition. I guess. Oh,
3: that would be great! How many people can say they own their own game on arcade cabinet? <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Well, one really cool aspect of the game is the music. How did you meet up with the person responsible for that? Because it fits the game perfectly. Uh,
2: well, I kn- it's uh, Tommy Kolczynski who did the, the music. And we also think he did a great job, a very great job. Um, uh, I knew him from, uh, I think, five or ten years ago uh, from the same city, Basel. And we, we met per coincidence. And then we talked about what we are both doing. And then he said, Hey, I'd like to do music for your game. I just uh, saw the trailer. And I think it was not that easy in the beginning for Tomek because he came very late into the project. Um, And I think it was not that easy to work together with us because maybe we were already focused on on, on things. So I think it it took him quite a while to, to find the right tune. But then when, when he did, it it's really exploded, and he, he did a lot of uh, very cool uh, music for the game. And the, yeah, the feedback is, is very great for the music, and everybody thinks it's a perfect fit.
0: It truly is. That's why I bring it up. There's a lot of games I've played where the music doesn't fit, so when you find one where it does, it's pretty noticeable.
2: Yeah, I think the, the challenge for him is also that we are both, Adrian and me, both very uh, in, uh, music is something very important for us. So it's not just, uh, oh, okay, uh, yeah, we take anything or something like this. And the other thing is we tried actually hard to to work on the look of the game that it does not look like a typical computer game. And so he also had to uh, work on the music that it does not sound like a typical computer game music.
3: It's definitely tough to jump into a project halfway through when you weren't there from the, from the beginning. Yeah but it clearly worked out for you guys because it's great. Um, you guys joined together and made the company Bits and Beast. And I was just curious where that name came from.
2: <laughs> we once did an exhibition with that name, but I'm not sure what's the origin of the, of, the, of the name. I don't know. It's so difficult to find a good name. I remember when I had a band and we performed every time with another, with another name because we never could find one. So I actually think the best thing you can do if you if you meet someone and you have a name for anything, you're halfway through. So if you have the name, then you will find a project that fits, but you will never find the name for a project. Is, is this ridiculous, Bits and Beasts?
3: Uh, I don't think it's ridiculous. It's just, I know, Adrian, I know you um, enjoy anime as well as we do. Um, I saw it on your, I don't know exactly how to say it, tracked. Mm -hmm. Uh, site, and I know of a particular anime we've mentioned before called Beyblades where a large component of the show is around these little devices that have these sort of creatures in them called BitBeast. So I thought that was (laughs) an interesting coincidence.
1: Okay, I didn't think of that. Never really (laughs) seen Beyblade, actually.
0: Okay, so it's confirmed. You guys weren't paying homage to them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and another thing, I've been meaning to ask, do you guys have any Easter eggs in Feist at all? Because I was looking, and I'm the kind of gamer that tears a level apart and tries to do every little thing, and I personally didn't find any, but I'm just wondering if you have any little secrets interspersed throughout the game that, that your average user might not come across. It's just with, uh, with the design that we have, with the silhouette style, it was just really
1: difficult to find good places to to hide things. Like, usually if you have a more... uh illustrative style uh, you can like much better hide caves or entrances or whatever but in our case it's just really it was just really weird to have uh those kind of uh effects hidden places we would have loved to add them but it just didn't really
2: work out properly
0: oh okay yeah that makes sense because i was searching vigorously
2: (laughs) No, I think we do not really have Easter eggs in in, in this sense, but w- what we have, uh, we have a lot of things you actually can do that are not really necessary to complete the game. So for example, you can play around with the stick, you can, you know, you can drop it and he makes a uh, spinning movement and you can catch it or you can uh, drop it and push it away or you can, uh, for example, jump onto the back of the creature and, and grab their fur and ride them, which... Helps you a little bit in the game, but but not that much. So we have things that we hope that some people find out, uh, which are hidden, but they are not not really Easter eggs, I think.
0: Okay, yeah, then I'd say the closest thing you have would be um, the achievements and stuff. I, for instance, on Steam, I was playing for the first time and I realized that I could grab a fly out of midair <laughs> and I got an achievement for it and that was pretty shocking and awesome. And then I realized I could use the fly as a weapon and shoot the spikes out of him.
2: Yeah, and we did those things not for the achievement. We already had those things going on, and then we we, we made achievement for them. And what actually? Okay, with with the achievement, you lose a little bit the surprise because when you read the achievement instruction instructions, you see, oh, okay, uh, it's possible to do that. Otherwise, you really have to find it out by by just um, trying out stuff.
3: I never like playing. I never like reading the achievements of the game before I play because I agree. I think it does spoil some of the magic of discovering on your own.
0: Yeah, agreed. That's what I mean. I didn't even know you could grab a fly, so that was awesome.
3: And it's always nice—not necessarily Easter eggs, but those features that don't—I don't want to say pointless, but have no real practical offense, uh, uh, effect to the story, and doesn't really move the story along because it helps flesh out the world and make it seem like its own place as opposed to just this very linear on-rails game where everything is to progress to the next level to the next boss to finish it whereas these little features can help add in and flesh out the world
2: yeah i mean those features were important for us i think a lot of the of the game design we did are actually about those features and they are some of them are completely meaningless for the game mechanics for example the 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 big creatures they they look at stuff, so if you throw something uh, over their heads, they turn their heads to, to look where it's flying, or they, they look uh, at things that it's hanging from the trees. They, even if you're dead, they, they not simply walk away, but they look, hey, uh, what, what's happening, and then they walk away.
0: So knowing that this project has taken the course of about seven years, has this opened many doors for you guys? Do you foresee doing other games, like on a larger scale? It it has
2: opened doors, but we also have to say it has uh, shut doors at the same time, because there were a lot of people asking uh, for things we actually could not do, because we were occupied with the work of the game. Um, Okay. So, uh, yeah, now we have time. (laughs)
3: Are there any like projects that you could have been asked for while you were working on FICE that you can go back and be like, oh, we can do it now, or is it kind of missed opportunity?
2: No, it never felt like a missed opportunity, but you just realize that you have something that is ongoing and you, you want to work on, on that. I mean, I think it's always like this, that if you have something that's going on, you always think there are a lot of opportunities, and when it stops, then suddenly you think, oh. Where all those opportunities? I think it's a little bit like with relations or something like that.
3: On your site, it says that you're, it's uh, reminiscent of Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal. Are you guys fans of it, or was that a uh, blurb written by someone else?
2: Adrian, are you a fan of it? I haven't actually seen
1: it, but uh, <laughs> it's a childhood memory of Florian. So maybe he can... Uh... Tell the tell story. No, I,
2: I mean, the, the point is this. A lot of people ask, what is the, uh, what is the inspiration for the game? What is the the, the idea, the, the first idea or what was the vision? And I think the question is quite, uh, sounds quite strange if you work on a project for a long time because there were, are so many inspirations. I mean, we all share basically the same uh, cultural background. There are so many influences and normally i think it's not that important what was the first idea or what was the idea because the, the just one idea is quite meaningless in the ocean of ideas you had during the process so i think the question is more important uh, why did you uh, why did you why didn't you kick out some of those ideas and i think because they worked in the context of the game um we we never knew, I think, the Hedgehog in the Fog before we started with the game. But during the time we worked on the game, people said, hey, you know, there's this Russian movie and it it looks like your game or something like this. And then we watch it, of course. Um, yeah, so I think it's really difficult to say what, what's, what's really the inspiration in the end.
3: Oh, wow. That was a much more meaningful answer than I expected for... So- our- uh, well, so i you <laughs> excited sorry. the new Muppet show? <laughs> Brian Wood. <laughs> I, I, Muppets are great. No one hates the Muppets.
2: No, but I I saw I saw the Dark Crystal as a child, and I was I, I really was moved by the by the film. Um, so I think actually it had an impact, which I maybe was not that aware of.
3: Yeah, there's always stuff that influences you, like t- touches you deep down in your soul that you're not very conscious of until you start working on something, and you someone points out, like, hey, this look, kind of looks like a Gelfling. It's like, I suppose it does.
0: Yeah, I feel like what the thing that I got out of it when I first started playing Feist, I felt that the creatures or characters uh, I thought could have potentially been influenced by the film and or book Where the Wild Things Are. Um, I never read the book nor saw the film, but I saw large, furry, furry, fluffy creatures and was wondering if that's something you know of and whether or not it was an actual influence. Well, I have to say this was my favorite children's book. Mm. Oh, really? Mine too.
2: I really have to assume that they had a big influence, but not in the way that, that we you know, went to, to look at the books again when we started on the game, or at least this is not what I did. But I think they had a very big influence. And then when I realized that they had similarities to the creatures, I thought, okay, uh, the book is called Where the Wild Things Are, so let's do those guys really wild because... You know, the, the Wild Things is a great children's book, but all they do is dancing. So, uh, so what if they do not dance, but really toss you around and
0: uh, actually are really wild? So I think, yes, it is a big influence. Interesting. Okay, cool. I'm glad I could pick up on that. Uh, I feel like I understand the concept that you were influenced before, but when you went to create the game, it wasn't something that you're necessarily drawing on, but it's something that you as a person have in your arsenal of uh, this is what I know.
3: I think it's more interesting that you've never read the book, Doug. It's like less than forty pages. Is it it's really? very easy?
0: <laughs> it's a children's book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for some reason, I thought it was like a novel because I remember it coming to theaters, and I, it was all like based on the book. And I was like, "Oh, it must <laughs> be a legitimate book."
3: No, it's a picture book.
0: There's oh, like okay.
3: Maybe two. Sp- two paragraphs worth of words.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and apparently a lot of dancing.
3: A lot of dancing.
0: Yeah, but there was
2: also a review from someone, I, I have forgotten who it was, and he called the review Where the Wild Things Are. And I, I really liked this title for the for the review of the game.
3: Oh, that's great. I'm wondering, though, with all the reviews that you get, are you guys completely sick of being compared to Limbo yet? <laughs> Because I know it's been made a few times, especially with the uh, uh, silhouette style.
0: Yeah, anyone I recommend this game to is like, "Oh, it's like Limbo," and they ask me if it's by the same creators, and I'm like, "No, actually, it's not." Yeah, I mean, oh, it's yeah. it's it's
2: now there. The comparison now there for a long time, at least for us. I mean, we didn't knew the game uh, from the from Playdead when we started with Feist, because I think they worked on the game for a long, quite a long time, but they really kept it secret. So we went to the IGF, um, showed our game there because we were nominated, and then it, I think it was someone from uh, U- the Unity crew who told us, hey, you know, um, I have a friend and he's working on, a, on another project and it has similarities. And so we started to know about this project. And the thing is, when you are, when you I mean, when you're really deep in a project, then normally you work on, on details and you do not see the bigger picture anymore. And for us, I think we forgot about the whole silhouette style. I, I, I'm not aware all the time that this game has a silhouette style. Obviously, it has, but, but there are so many other topics you work on that you completely forget this. So, when I first saw Limbo, it was not for me like, oh my god, it's, it's, it looks the same. But what happened then later on is that a lot of people, mostly from the press, uh, talked about that. And I, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's completely okay if, if, they, if the games are compared. It's just not really cool to, to read if if everything is is only in those yeah if they only compare it and don't um, you know uh, write about it uh, about other aspects of the game
0: and yeah how they're different from one another but what I get fed up with at least
1: is uh, the question like who came first and who copied from whom like especially I don't think anyone copied right especially in the in the case of Limbo and Feist. it's really that both were developed parallel and nobody copied from nobody but a lot of people uh, are really fixated on that question and it always comes up again and again and so i'm more fed up
2: that's strange even if you show them the history of the project where it's clearly that both projects started independently and parallel and they couldn't knew about each other uh, there are some people who think it's, it's not possible because one thing needs to be invented by one person. And that's, that's so very strange because, you know, you, you, asked me about, you asked me about the art school at, at Zurich University of the Arts. The first thing we teach is if you want to create a game, look for an, an, an... It's okay if you look at other art styles, but look outside uh, of your own medium. Uh, look, look into animation, look into paintings, and so on. So basically, that's what you do. And obviously, the, the silhouette style goes way back uh, to Chinese shadow theater, or yeah, to a lot of things. So that that's what's happening. You, you, of course, you're influenced with uh, uh, by things going on, but normally you're not influenced by people who are really working in the same fields than you are. I think.
3: Yeah, you get influenced by everything around you. It's not just uh, video games influence other video games. It's, it's it's a tough hurdle for, I think, the video game community especially because uh, some of them tend to be very uh, set in their ways and very ignorant on any other viewpoints.
0: And I think also that's just the mindset of a consumer versus a developer, like, They don't really honestly understand all that goes into creating a game. So they're just thinking to themselves, oh, well, those people must have just copied off of those people, even though that might not necessarily be the case.
2: But I think, you know, I think normally it works like this. You really work on a project. And we once decided that our project has a two-dimensional game mechanic. And the reason for this was just because we said it's physics-based. And if it's two-dimensional, there's a bigger chance that objects can collide. So, so you end up with a two-dimensional gameplay, and then you think, okay, uh, what kind of visuals do we choose? And if you look at projects that are two-dimensional, you see they came come up with the same solutions. Normally, a lot of them, you know, show uh, I don't know how to say it. They show the landscape as if it was cut apart. So you see into the landscape, or others, they build up a stage, like for example, a Trine or a Little Big Planet, or so on. And, and what we did, we just thought about, okay, um, basically, we're going to show the player what he can walk on. This is black, and the other thing is, is the opposite color. This could be white, or in our case, just the colorful background. And the other reason why we chose the silhouette style was, again, as I said, we tried to create a world that feels very organic. So we, we use the forest, and in the forest, you have a problem if you build it up with 3D objects, that you do not have uh, details on the edges, which are really important. The tree is uh, interesting mainly on, on the edges because of his structure. And I think the, the guys from Play Dead with Limbo, they really had the same thinking. So I, I think it's not that a big coincidence that you come up with the, with the same kind of solutions if you have the same kind of
0: problems. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Were there any things early in the game that didn't make it in the end result? Yeah, about ninety percent. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable. Uh, but was there anything that stands out that might be worth mentioning?
2: Yeah, we had once you could once feed the creatures, and then oh. they, and then they with, with uh, they could get eaten as well. Yeah, with with, <laughs> with, with some strange fruits, and then they, they got crazy and they attacked everybody and killed everything. But then we, re- we realized they are already crazy and attack everything, so what's different? No, but the thing is people started or people maybe um, fed the creatures, but then they run away and they never saw how they transformed or how they changed. So, so a big, a big uh, challenge actually I think in video games is how not only what can you do, but if you, if you can't show it or if you can't make sure that they see it, uh, is it worth keeping it? I see what you mean.
3: Yeah, you're kind of reliant on the player to stick around and explore as much as they can. Exactly. see all of what you've done.
0: Which I try to do as a gamer anyway, but not everybody plays like that. Um, Here's a quick question, and I'm not sure if you'll have an answer to it or not, but did you at any point give a name to the main character or the significant other they're chasing after? No, we did not, actually. Okay. <laughs> just wondering yeah we did know that a lot
2: of people asked but i mean the, 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 okay you wanted to short out a question so a short answer so I quit it here. <laughs> how
3: about i got a quick question here do you guys ever hope that one day your game will overcome the canadian pop singer feist for the number <laughs> one google thing
2: no, but she's great. I think she's, she's, so. We we also put her into the credits. For, uh, we thanked her. <laughs>
0: oh really? Yeah, I saw that actually. That's amazingly funny. <laughs> no, the, the the
2: thing is, the, the funny thing is, I mean, we we just I, I googled her before we before we put on the name, but I didn't know her. I have to say, she was not that famous because the game is really so old. But um, the funny thing is when the game uh, when the game got some speed a lot of people um, were mailing us and asked us if we could uh, read their song texts because they are all wanted our feedback and or they wanted to put us on uh, glamour italy or they invited us to um, feminist concerts and so on <laughs> and we we never we never said hey we are we are the singer fist, but we said always oh, oh great it's a pleasure we'd like to come but then they cut the conversation. And even if we asked, Hey, just, just wondering why, why do you thought we are Leslie Feist? Then they never wrote back unfortunately. And you, oh, le- yeah. you, you learn a lot about people if you got the mails from, uh, from a pop star. <laughs> 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 for a pop star. That's funny.
3: I would, I would love to see your little fuss creature on the cover of a glamour magazine. <laughs>
0: definitely. Definitely. <Enough. laughs> I have to ask what did lead to you guys going with the name feist we tried out a lot of different names
1: and uh, in the end feist stuck i think it's a it's from the german word feist uh, which is pretty similar to the english word feisty and originally it's uh, from a hunting language and describes the the fat of the animals that they acquire in, in the summer
0: Oh, okay, interesting.
2: And we thought that was a really great fit for, for the game. But, but then again, we also can say it was just a working title until we won the Unity Award and suddenly realized, okay, it's not a working title anymore because people now know that the game is called Feist.
3: It's a good thing you didn't have the working title as like Force Simulator or something, <laughs> something very bulky.
2: Simulators from Switzerland are quite popular, actually.
3: Yeah, you got all those uh, snowcat simulators and uh, the truck driving simulators. and Yeah, and the, for-
2: the farming simulator is the most popular uh, Swiss game. It,
3: it blows my mind how popular they've gotten. They've become this their own culture. Going <laughs> itself.
2: So we should, uh, for a simulator, that would have been better, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, do you guys foresee a potential sequel for Feist, or is it more or less a kind of standalone title, or do you guys just have enough of a love for the game to really want to see it continue? I think first we need to do something else to change our minds, and
1: then maybe if uh, we ever feel like it again, then I don't know. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> yeah, if you guys say you have. 90% of your progress still you know, backlogged somewhere, you definitely have more material to work with.
2: Yeah, I mean the thing is, the thing is um, people start to connect you very closely um, or very tight to your project and I think it is important that people don't connect us uh, only too fast. Definitely. So, um, doing something else I think would be quite a good idea.
0: Cool. Well, I'm sorry I have to do this, but I'm afraid I have to wrap things up. Um, we'd love to have you guys back on the show uh, down the road if you guys end up doing another project. Is there anywhere our listeners can find you guys and reach out if they'd like? Sure. They can go to our homepage. That's uh, playfeist.net.
1: And uh, there's a newsletter they can sign up or there's some email. They can just shoot us a message if they, if they like.
0: All right, great. We'll definitely put the link to that in our show notes. There's
2: also a link to the music. So if the listeners want to uh, be <laughs> listeners, then they can uh, just listen to the music as well.
0: <laughs> definitely. I recommend it. It's a good soundtrack. But uh, all right, I guess that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to us, you can always email us at almostbetterthansilence at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook and Twitter. Our handles: abt silence. And you can also check out our YouTube and Twitch pages, so get in touch with us. Um, is there anything you wanted to add, Bren?
3: Uh, no, not really. Just thank you, Florian and Adrian, for coming on.
2: Thank you. Yeah, but Thank you, guys. Thanks. It was <laughs> really great. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks so much. Alright, we'll talk to you next week. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye.